0: Got to do this whole thing. I assure you, I am allowed to be here. I know the mask may be concerning. Um, I consulted with a doctor. I did not, you know, I love to preach the gospel. I love to get up here. And so I knew that when I got sick, I needed to talk to a doctor to make sure it was safe. I needed to have somebody who wasn't inclined by what they, what I wanted or what I, to, to give me an authoritative, can you be here? Sure, like so many other people, I taught myself to be an amateur virologist over the last couple years. Uh, but sometimes it really matters to hear what is the right and what is the wrong thing. To go to someone who actually knows what they're talking about, maybe uh, has the knowledge and authority to speak on things. It matters. Uh, these things matter for caring for other people. It matters in all things in life. There's a, there's a lot... Um, there's a lot of areas of our life where, where, where we need an authority to speak true things to us, to help us cl- make clear things that are murky and confusing. <gasps> hey, bud. <laughs> it matters. It matters. And I, and I thought, uh, coming to you this morning and speaking a little bit about Uh, authority and specifically the authority of Jesus might matter as we head into our summer series on the prequel, Uh, sorry, on the parables. So think of this as like a parables prequel, because as we get into the parables, as we hear Jesus tell these folksy, often pastoral tales, it can switch on a part of our brain uh, that's inclined to hear Jesus giving us uh, sort of advice Uh, Tim Keller, rest in peace, uh, had a famous thing that he would say that we are much more inclined to seek out Jesus as a counselor than a king. And so before we go into this series with that full of language that we might be inclined to take as advice, to take as into consideration, I think it's worthwhile for us to read another story of Jesus and to recognize the authority that he brings to bear when he speaks. What power, what right, what, you know, what happens when Jesus speaks? So if you would turn with me uh, to the gospel of Mark chapter 2. Uh, We're going to read, I think, a very fun story, a very dramatic story. Mark is often, uh, I find the gospel that sometimes has the best dramatic tellings of the stories of Jesus, and they're always happening immediately one after another. So uh, we are reading Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. Your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thus questioning within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Heavenly father, as we turn to your word, I pray that you would give our hearts, that you would, that you would give our hearts a spirit of listening, that whether this story is new or deeply familiar, we would be able to hear the power in your words. And to recognize the compassion and love that animates them, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a story of Jesus making a big authority claim. That's where we really need to start. Jesus is claiming a lot of authority. This is very early. You can see it's chapter 2 in the gospel. It is early in his ministry. And he is coming out of the gates making a big statement. And I think first and first of us, like like this is a, I love this story because it 's very it 's very easy to picture it 's very dramatic there 's people coming in from the roof uh, there 's big scenes. Jesus is a bit of a showman in this as a former theater kid. I appreciate that um, and I think one of the first moments where we see Jesus sort of take this authority is after this guy is lowered in through the roof, imagine the scene of it, you know, a crowded room, a roof gets ripped open and a guy gets let in, like really allow yourself to see the drama unfolding here. Jesus looks on this dude, like sees this young man. He says, now my son, your sins are forgiven. paralytic it's a paralyzed man he needed to be lowered in because his friends couldn't carry the bed through the crowd jesus has looked in this man and authoritatively diagnosed this condition his greatest need as being his sinful heart this man needs his sins forgiven that's a bold like that's a bold diagnosis by jesus i remember uh Maybe before this, think how hard this guy's life is. Think how difficult it is. It is difficult to have a chronic condition in our very modern society that has a lot of accommodations for that sort of thing. Imagine the day-to-day pain and difficulty for this man, his family, and his friends. How all-consuming it must seem. How strange it must have been for him to hear those words from Jesus. I, back when I was younger, I, I was a little bit chronically injured. Uh, I was always hurting myself. Uh, my friends called me Mr. Glass. And uh, I, I started to get a little bit of, a little bit like, Bit of become a bit of a know-it-all when I would go to the doctor. I remember one particular incident in college. I had managed to sprain my ankle while getting a severe concussion. Uh, somebody had hit me in the head, and I'd fallen and sprained my ankle. And it was like my sixth or seventh concussion. This was the early 2000s. We didn't care about those back then. Um, well, I didn't. And I went to the doctor to get a boot for my sprained ankle or get a brace for it. And all the doctor wanted to talk about was the fact that I'd received my sixth or seventh concussion. She was particularly concerned that I didn't know how many that I was. And I was sitting there like, why? You're not going to do anything for it. Why do you get it? I just want the ankle brace. The ankle was going to get better in a couple weeks. What the doctor realized is that I was messing around with something that was of lifelong significance if I didn't start to take serious blows to my face, uh, you know, a little bit more seriously, I was going to have a lot more than a weekly lasting condition. And Jesus looks similarly in here. He says, here, here's this, here's this lifelong condition you have that is painful and uncomfortable. And it might feel all consuming, but I look at you and you know what I see? I see an eternal condition. I see a condition that stretches past this. I see something that demands more, that has more gravity. And out of that claim, out of that claim of sort of diagnostic authority... Out of that position where he says, I know what's actually the problem here. And it's not this temporary thing. It's this eternal problem that that you have sinned and are far from God. That whether you were well or sick, there is nothing you can do to close the gap between you and a just and perfect God. Healing your body won't do that. What you need is grace. The only thing that can cure the condition that really ails you is grace. And out of that claim, he then claims to be the one who can dispense that grace. I think you need to see how bold that is. I, I love that we just read the Westminster Shorter Catechism on, on the, kind of the offices that Jesus takes on. You, know, you have this room full of people who've gathered to hear Jesus. A lot of them probably assume he is taking on one of those roles. He's not a Levite, so it's probably not a priest, but they might think he's this special new type priest, but they might think he's a prophet who's here to speak truth. He is preaching the word of God. Yeah, he is that. Or they might think he's the messianic king. He is in the descent of the kings of Judah. He has that right. He's here to protect them Maybe give them freedom. they're, They're looking at what offices he might hold. And he's saying, I actually, I do have those offices. I can make intercession for you. But here's the thing. I also have a different position. I occupy the position of judge who can actually forgive these sins. And that's not a claim that people in that room were ready for him to make. And so that brings us really to the key inflection point of this passage. Jesus' authority is questioned. Is he blaspheming? Because according to everything, these, very, these, guys, these guys who are questioning, him, the, the, the scribes, the people who know the scripture really well, they are right in thinking, feeling in their hearts, think he just crossed the line. And they just, they just think it. Is he claiming God's own authority? And there's that moment and there's a moment of tension. And I think most of us probably not at this scale, but have experienced one of those moments of tension where someone asserts authority and there's sort of a pause in the room of will that authority be respected? It's possibly easiest if you remember back to middle school. (laughs) I don't know about you. In eighth grade, I had in my English class a brand new teacher uh, for eighth grade English. She was her very first year And I remember in like the first month, one of these moments where she tried, where like there was this tension in the room. And what was she going to say? What was she going to do when somebody spoke disrespectfully to her? Was she going to send them to the office, give them a detention? And instead, the worst possible thing that can come out of your voice, your mouth is your teacher came out. She said, hey guys, never say hey guys. <laughs> this plead, this begging that we would respect her. June was a long way away for her. That was a rough year in eighth grade English. Authority questioned and lost is a hard thing to watch. And so Jesus, before the question is even verbalized, recognize this. This is just like in their hearts, inside themselves. Jesus said, hey, why are you questioning in your hearts? First off. That's a, that's a pretty big move right there to know what's going on inside the other people's hearts in the room. Jesus prioritizes the heart. We saw that with the paralytic, right? This is clearly his priority. He's more concerned with the heart of the man who has wandered in. He's not waiting for a question to be asked for him. If something is troubling the hearts of the people in this room, Jesus cares about the heart, and so he cares that this is happening in their heart, and he notices, and he asks them, I think, just an absolutely fascinating, and like I said, dramatic question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk? It's a really fascinating question. They're, honestly, they're, they're equally easy to say. I can say both of those things. I've done it a bunch of times right now. It hasn't done anything. So in a sense, it's sort of like, I, yeah, I mean, you can say whatever you want. What's Jesus implying? Which of these can you do? Can you forgive us? Can you ask him to take up his bed and walk? And we see Jesus knitting something together here. There are There are miracles we can see and there's miracles that we can't see. There's power that we can see and there's power that we need to trust in. And Jesus is saying, let me knit something together for you here. Both of these things are outside of your power. You agree. I've claimed that I can forgive this man. And to demonstrate it, allow me, allow me to show you something you can see. Take up your bed and walk. And he instructs the guy. And this is this, this big demonstration of authority. And look, the room is stopped. The the roof has been opened. The guy has been lowered in. You would think that that might be the climactic part of the story, right? Like how often are you going to see the roof opened up above you? But think about it. It's like they couldn't get him in because this room was so crowded. So what does Jesus do after he heals him? He says, go home, take your cot home. And what does the man do? He moves through the crowd carrying what he once needed to be carried on. The whole crowded room gets to see, physically experience this miracle. This man that they, this is not a huge town. It's a city, but it's not a big city. They know this guy's actually paralyzed. This isn't a stranger to them. This is no trick. Sort of a traveling kind of charlatan. He wants them all to see. He doesn't let the guy, the guy doesn't go back up through the roof. He walks by them each individually. And what, and what a demonstration of power it is. I think we sometimes, I don't know, I think sometimes we don't really know what to do with miracles. The miracles of Jesus. I think even within the church, where we are very comfortable with the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is a big miracle. What about the miracles Jesus does during his life? What are we seeing here? There's something almost unnatural about them, right? It's like this is not following how we understand the world. But that's not really right, is it? In a sense, what Jesus is doing is very natural. If he is who he claims that he is, you know, if, if he is God as he's claiming to be because he's saying he can forgive sins, he is the one who spoke creation into existence. When he made man, when he made humanity, he did not make them paralyzed, sick, and wounded. He made them strong and well. What do we see in this healing is Jesus making the sad parts of our sin untrue. If only for a moment, it is a breaking in of the way the created world the the natural world was supposed to be. And he's, don't take for granted that he is speaking it into existence. He doesn't adjust the man's back. There's other moments where he does this and he does these things. Just a a story before this, he in great compassion reaches out and touches a leper, which is a beautiful sign to a man who's never been touched. Like Jesus can do those things, but in a moment he can just speak just as creation was spoken into existence. And we see in this moment, in these miracles, that the created world is still responsive to its creator. It remembers his voice. This is a wonderful, marvelous miracle. I think one of the other things we can do is over these is just kind of like plow through them and not let the wonder of them seep in. Like Jesus is doing something intentionally impressive, intentionally kind of wowing here. He wants us to be wowed. He wants the crowd to be wowed, to grasp the power and the authority that he has when he speaks. It's, it's important to be wowed sometime, right? Right? Uh I I'm an enthusiast, a general enthusiast. I get into a lot of things. I can get into anything. My wife always jokes, you know, when I when I talk about something she's like, "Oh good, you need another hobby." I thought that. She's not serious when she says this. But working in college ministry, one of my favorite things is learning about my students' hobbies, the things that they're really into, going with them if they can. A couple of my students took me rock climbing or oh, bouldering. I'd never done bouldering before. Uh Got a lot of blisters. I tried way too hard and wasn't that good. But before you do it, it's sort of like, I don't, have you ever been bouldering? It's like, I don't like these little 15 foot walls over pads. It's like, I don't know that it's like that cool. But a couple of the young guys I went with were pretty good and they did a couple of the harder tracks and they're like swinging from thing to thing. And like, that's like pretty cool. Can't do it myself, or I would do it to impress you. But it was impressive. It wowed me. It's was like, wow, this looks. This looks cool. This looks fun. Also, you look like you know what you're doing. <laughs> so when you tell me, as I'm trying to go up like the second easiest route, say, put your hand here, thing. I just saw that guy swing and leap and grab a wall. He probably does know what he's talking about on the easiest track on the wall. Sorry, second easiest. It's worthwhile to be wowed sometimes. Uh, It is worthwhile to be impressed. Uh, It's why doctors, like uh, turning back to that, hang their fancy, you know, diplomas on the wall. You want to know how much authority you want to give to them. They don't put their GPAs on there, though, I don't. Might feel a little try-hardy if they did, unless they all agreed to, though. The drama, the spectacle, it is on purpose. He wants us to grasp his ability and the wonder of his healing power because he is asking us to believe something really big. It is one thing to turn to God and... Look, you might be like, hey, the stuff I really need from God is this stuff pressing right now. I need a job. I need to be healed. I need this. These things that are all very tangible in ways that we can understand. This might feel like the most pressing thing and, and it might feel like, hey, that's what I really need God to do right now. But it's another thing, another thing altogether to say, hey, God, you know absolutely every terrible, unkind, selfish thing I've ever done? I need grace for that. Because I've come face to face with the reality that that eternity is a lot longer than this life. And if God is the good God who not just created, but sustains all things. And if my baggage, my selfishness, my evil, my sin would keep me from you, Lord, I need grace. That's a harder thing for us to fully wrap our heads around, isn't it? And so Jesus's power and his miracles... The force of his words. And remember, if we're prequeling out to these parables, these stories, as Jesus tells us, what is good? If all these words contain the same force, they confirm to us two things. As we look through the miracles of Jesus, we can confirm and we can trust that he can do what he says he can do. I mean, that's what he is sort of implicitly telling us here, right? You think I can't do this, but, but watch, watch me. That is the immense power. I talked about the greatest miracle, the resurrection from the death of Jesus. That is the immense power of that miracle, right? It is one thing to tell us. I am taking the sins of this world with me through suffering and death on the cross. I am bearing them for you. What evidence do we have that we can trust that that has been done? The evidence is that he has defeated death. That he has risen from the grave. That he still reigns. That it's not that we could trust him, it's that we can trust him. And I think this might be the second application, the one that we might want to bear out with us even more. Well, you can't really do more than that first one, but as we go out this summer. So we can trust that what he tells us is good. What does Jesus's power accomplish in this story, in his life, in his death and resurrection? We see in Jesus' power breaking in of the good the way it should have been. We see in the evidence of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he speaks powerfully to us about what is truly good. And so, out of that power, we can trust that we should do what he says. Not in a trembling fear of power, though he could apply that force no because we have seen that jesus's power is demonstrated for the good of all creation for the good of us when jesus calls us out into dangerous seeming waters when jesus tells us parables that make us uncomfortable when he when the conclusion of these things is love your enemies up your cross and follow me die to anything and everything else that would be a hindrance to you following Jesus into the kingdom of God well because of the power and the goodness we have seen demonstrated we can trust that he has the power to back up his promises we can we can turn to the promises, how about uh, some of the most famous ones? John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He has the power to back up those promises. That you have been redeemed from death, that we have been redeemed from death. To an inheritance Shared with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are not just simply a wise teacher. You do not have words of clever advice for us, but you have words of power, the same words that spoke the universe into being, that can remit our bodies, that can make us new. Lord, I pray that you would give us through the power of your work, trust in you, in your goodness and your righteousness, but also your authority to do what you say you will do because your promises are good and they are sure. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.